and welcome to Fuds on Film's first intermission podcast of 2016. I am Craig Eastman and with me tonight, Scott Morris. Hello. And somewhere on the other end of a massive technical failure uh, <laughs> was Drew Tavendale. Um, he may be joining us at some point, but we won't hold our breath. Uh, tonight we'll be talking primarily about Star Wars The Force Awakens, now that everybody's seen it, uh, and we've had time to gather our thoughts, so without further ado, let's crack on. So first of all, Scott, you spent a lot of time over Christmas in Mexico. Uh, how are you doing now that you're back? I'm much colder to be back. Uh, th- this would be the main difference. It's, it's colder and wetter, and not as nice. That's a shame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now well, you spent a lot of time in Wales over Christmas, so yes. <laughs> How did that work out for you? It didn't. <laughs> but there you go. That's life in Wales for you. I mean, a Scotsman living in Wales, it's it's you know, it's, well, it's like swapping oranges for satsumas, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't. Know. I haven't really noticed much of a change in the last five years or whatever. But um, but there you go. Yeah. No, I was massively envious of of you uh, and your exploits in uh, in Spain and uh, Spain Spain close yeah. Spanish speaking Mexico. <laughs> uh, and I understand that while you were there, you had a chance to watch Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I did, I did. Unfortunately, not the dubbed version, which I think would have probably been a more entertaining film in the long run. Uh, but yes, uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, uh, this will eventually devolve into spoiler territory, I think, just because of the way we'll talk about it. So I think yes, if yes. If you're particularly averse to this thing, you might want to just skip this episode entirely, but um, gone on the basis of box office receipts, if you haven't seen Star Wars, you are the only person who hasn't. So mm-hmm. congratulations on that achievement, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let us let us fill you in on the deets. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, w- worth pointing out the fact that... Um, I I don't feel at this point there's any merit in discussing The Force Awakens without discussing certain plot points, so I personally fully intend to drop all sorts of uh, plot bombs, so if you don't want it <laughs> spoiled for you, then yes, avoid this podcast altogether, um, or assuming that we are talking about any other films this podcast, which we're not sure about yet, because it depends on whether Drew can join us again, skip forward to precisely 40 minutes. And you will have missed the Star Wars uh, stuff. Um, <laughs> I like what you did there. Do you see what I did there, Scott? Yeah. Do you see what I did there? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I actually started writing stuff about uh, The Force Awakens. I thought it, I it did broke too. enough reaction that I thought to do this, but I got to about 1,200 words before I'd actually got to the start of mm-hmm. talking about Star Wars because you can't talk about The Force Awakens without talking about everything that came before it. And it's yeah. kind of an old story, so I don't want to go... I, I, I can, I can, I've got a good way of condensing it down to the bullet points that I think we've kind of got a shared experience from, so maybe I'll probably do that if you like. I, I similarly got to about the 1,200 mark, uh, uh, 1200 word mark before I realised that I wanted to smash the laptop that I was using and the problem with that is it's my work laptop and I just quit my job so they want it back and that's a problem I see opportunity <laughs> yes um, you didn't say you wanted it back in one piece you you sods um, yes I, I, I feel we may have had a similar experience we haven't discussed it um, ourselves at this point so I'm I'm largely unaware of your of your feelings on it but take take it away take it away right uh, just to go back to first principles we're of a generation we're now 30 years old and uh, we Sorry. grew up with Star Wars <laughs> we're how old we're 30 yeah. and 2021. 20, um, 21. Yeah, we're, t- we're 21. We're, yeah. <laughs> Plus 15. Yeah, so uh, 
I don't know if it's, I assume it's the same for you. We basically grew up with Star Wars basically mm. always being there. I can't remember the first time I saw Star Wars. It would have been before I knew what the concept of time was, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I've played with a lot of toys. We, were see, the, we certainly weren't at an age where we could distinguish it from reality. No, no. <laughs> um, we were all running around with the insides of a roll of kitchen foil making row, row noises, that kind of stuff. So yeah, obviously huge fans kind of grew, grew away from it, but I think our interest would have been re-sparked by the release of the special editions. Mm-hmm. Uh, first chance to see them in cinema, which I guess we all did. Um, I'm sure we were at the same cinema for at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I wasn't able to get my irritation up with the Star Wars uh, special editions, although obviously it's been picked over to death by this point, the whole hand shoots first stuff, but at the time, never really bothered me that much. I was happy enough just to see them on the big screen, but you can see, especially from things like when you get to Return of the Jedi, the amount of completely superfluous nonsense that was added to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could see that maybe it was going off the rails a bit, and then you get to the prequels. I kind of gave the first Fat Menace a pass. It was obviously horrible, but I thought, well, maybe the next one will be better and just Mm. forgot about it instantly. Um, But yes, that's a terrible film attack of the clones i got about halfway through uh, before a very unfortunate thing i think for my appreciation of star wars kicked in it was the point where my critical critical faculties which until that point had not been engaged by star wars at all suddenly kicked in and you mm-hmm. go actually this is bad and all of the other films are bad too and i've <laughs> never been able to recover from it from that point um mm. The, just the dialogue in two was enough to just make that transition. So even though Attack of the, uh, the third film, Attack Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. was better, I still just didn't care by that point. And then I've since then, you kind of have to go back and watch the original ones and think, well, actually, these films have more or less the same problems. It's not obviously so CG invested, but basically they're not actually that great films. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the imagination and the world building that George Lucas did, which is probably unparalleled. Uh, that really tied into little little kids like mind minds and yeah. and made it made it fire off. And he had this world for us to play in, and it was great. He's one of the he's probably one of uh, cinema's greatest visionaries and that kind of thing he he hasn't created a world which so many people have been able to able to play and supported so much of the extra extended universe stuff so obviously that's great but the films themselves actually sorry they're just not that good i still i think largely i would agree with you i think um uh the empire strikes back is still obviously uh, i would argue the best the best film in the franchise today and i think it kind of is able to stand. Yeah, oh, it doesn't stand individually as a great film because obviously it's part of the lore. And you, I do think if you if you somehow have never seen a Star Wars movie before in your life, you probably wouldn't want to go into uh, Empire uh, Cold. No, um, but I think it's easily the best um, of the original trilogy. And well, yeah, spoiler alert: it's certainly better than uh, the Force Awakens. But yeah, yeah it but, was the only one that attempts any characterization at all, really. Yeah, I think I I did the same thing as yourself in that I obsessed over the changes that were made in the special editions and um, and was angered greatly by one of them, especially because it ruined what was at that point I felt <clears throat> my favorite, possibly my favorite exchange uh, between mm. two characters in cinema history and likewise i think by the time um the uh the uh the new trilogy had arrived uh, in the early 2000s i had started to to gain that kind of critical faculty as well and i took a step back and appreciated yeah actually as as much as i as i still kind of love those films and as much as i can still quite happily watch them if they're on on a sunday afternoon the reality of it is that they're not great movies they're not at best i think 
you know, Empire Strikes Back is a four-star movie. Um, a New Hope and Return of the Jedi are probably three-star movies. Hmm. They are not masterpieces. They are not certainly of, of, of narrative filmmaking. They, they are perhaps masterpieces in the sense that I say they very much defined a genre and they very much shaped the direction of cinema. And there's a great deal of merit, if not necessarily in their content and their construction, but certainly in their part in cinema history. Yeah. And specifically okay. within the, the sci-fi genre. But anyone who would try and make the argument that those are objectively good movies, I have to say I would I would disagree with to the point of death. Um <laughs> I don't I, I don't want to get into a fight to the death with anyone <laughs> over Star Wars movies because they're really not worth it. But that's not to say that I don't think people should enjoy them. I understand absolutely that people enjoy them. I still enjoy them, but they are not great movies. Yes, I think that's fair, but I don't want to diminish the thing I said earlier about George Lucas, uh, uh, the way he managed to fire up the imaginations of yeah. a generation, and that is no small feat, and that, that really is the one thing that is external to how good a film you think it might be. Mm-hmm. Right? You can There's a... A very clear objective case you could make by noting down various technicalities about the film, but yeah. the, f- the way that he managed to trigger that in our generation as well, but also, and you hate to admit it, but with the prequels as well, because when kids saw the prequels, they loved it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, th- we think Jar Jar Binks is the greatest affront to humanity, but kids don't. Kids loved it, and that's yeah. kind of that's 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 his goal. That's, that seems to be what he does. He likes to fire the imaginations of people who will then go on to you know, obsess about these kind of things, and he managed it again, much as we might. Much as we might despair about it, he did. So mm. I think it's it's worth recognising his achievements on those those that sphere alone. It may not be yeah. great films, but it does work. Uh, um, so, yeah, I yeah. kind I kind of I'll touch I'll I'll touch on some of my comments because actually um, something of what I had to say about the Force Awakens um, relates to those uh, the newer. I want to keep saying the newer trilogy episodes one, two, and three, and actually the way that it's uh, it's. Um, Caused me to reassess them, but I guess, yeah. Uh, oh, where was I going with that? No, you carry on with what you were going to say, Scott. I'll edit that out. I think that was probably about the end of what I was going to say in that particular thread of thoughts. Um, I was defending George Lucas a little bit, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, they may not be great films in what you could call a technical sense, but I think there's a case to be made for them being great films on an emotional level, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Uh, I still love them. Yeah. Yeah, they're such an important part of not only our childhoods, but basically culture in general, that it's hard not to. Uh, I think, I, I feel almost, oh God, Scott, I feel, I have great reservations about even going into a conversation about The Force Awakens. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to preface it now with something, and I'm going to keep repeating this throughout, because probably there are people already, there are probably already fanboys yeah. who are listening to this and already balking at it. What? Yeah. If what? you're thinking of sending death threats, which people have to the few critics who have said that it's not quite all that, mm. please don't. It's just a film, and if we don't share your opinions of it, it can't possibly affect your feelings mm. about the film unless you're deluding yourself. So, I'm, go- I'm going to preface this with an acknowledgement of the fact that I think probably sometimes I come across as as obnoxious and or patronizing and if any point it sounds like i'm descending into that um please please don't take it as such because um i as much as i have to say about the force awakens and as much as i'm going to tell you that i didn't enjoy it all that much um for what i feel are good reasons um i still i don't 
wish to detract from anyone. Um, I don't want to patronise anyone by suggesting they're wrong, that they've enjoyed it, because I understand that a great deal of people seem to be enraptured by it. Yes. Personally, I think a lot of that comes down <laughs> to, to nostalgia. people. Nostalgia. And people yeah. perhaps deluding themselves a tiny bit. <laughs> but I'd, if, 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 you're, if you're listening to this and you're adamant that you genuinely enjoy this film, I'm not going to try and take that away from you. I totally take that on board and I accept that. And I'm not going to try and detract you from that i simply want to talk about why i didn't enjoy the force awakens all that much and Mm. to me i've heard i've heard other people say it before and again i'm going to qualify this statement these three words i'm about to say and those three words are lazy fan service i'm going to qualify that with there's nothing wrong with the fan service part of that i don't have a problem with the force awakens Episode 7 being fan service. I kind of expected it to be, and I kind of wanted it to be. My issue is with the lazy part of it. The The notion that Disney would have paid $4 billion for the Star Wars <laughs> franchise and not have indulged in a bit of fan service, at least in this first of the new episodes, would be crazy. Because if I spent $4 billion on it, I'd want to make sure that at the very least people came out with something to talk about and at least felt comfortable with it. I get that. My problem isn't with that. If anything, I actually quite enjoyed the aesthetic of the movie, although, again, there are other things I would like to say about that in some respects. Uh, My problem with it is that it felt absolutely lazy to me and more than anything it was simply a remake of episode four am i taking crazy pills or no i I largely agree i don't know if i could call it lazy but i mean certainly it's very clear that it's a mix of four with a little bit of uh, empire strikes backs thrown in there it's uh, it's if I, I'm not sure. I hadn't really paid any attention to any of the hype going into it, so I didn't really know what to expect. Likewise, I, yeah, I didn't expect it to be a reboot, which is really what it is, mm-hmm. because it's very clear what they decided to do for this going forward is that while there was a, a there was a trajectory that was followed in all the extended universe stuff at the end of it, where the empire's fallen and they're trying to kind of build a new order from this thing with a. And clearly that's been decided that's no way to set up a film franchise. Clearly they're more interested in the war part than the star part of it. Uh, So they're going straight back to that. And all they've really done is reset it to the point where you start at the beginning of episode four. Really, all they've done is change Empire to First Order. Uh And you're in the same position that they were before. Uh, The lazy part comes in the fact that it's just decided to do this reset without really making any attempt to understand how you would get into a position that they are now. It's like like they ended with a a very strong position at the end of uh, episode six, as it is now, and that's just been hastily rewound with no explanation whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. between that and these various other things that are put in as uh, presumably things to tweak pique your interest for later films or later side projects that are going on in the the project, well, a lot of people will look at that and see as an interesting thread that they could follow up later on. I'm just looking at it and thinking that this is a content plan. Um, I feel a lot of the feelings that I think you do with the Marvel franchise uh, on this, it just feels very much like a a content plan rather than it does a cinematic experience. It felt Uh, more like like it was being It feels like a spreadsheet. Yeah, it feels like I mean, I'm being asked to asked to to sign up to like a shared Google Docs spreadsheet. 
Yeah, more than maybe. anything else. Things like the most blatant example, of course, is when R two D no, sorry, C three PO wanders <laughs> in with his red arm and goes, I bet you're wondering how I got the red arm. Why not buy my comic book tie in franchise to find out? <laughs> more or less. Like, there's no, probably there's probably no, a zany adventure behind this. Yeah, so well, actually no, I don't care about you, you weird robot. Go away. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a little disappointing in that regard. It's a car- it's a character swap out. All it is is a character swap out. All these new characters, as much as they um Obviously, the old characters are uh, many of them are present in this film. The new mm. characters are still basically just analogs of those, and yeah, it's basically someone's pressed the refresh button on characters, so we can we can uh, we can do some new uh, action figures of these guys. the The one that's the one that irks me most is that John Boyega's character has clearly been set up as the new Han Solo. Yeah, and I I don't buy that, not least of all because he doesn't have any of the charisma. And the people who are who are gushing online about how much they love John Boyega, uh, um, Ridley, Daisy Ridley, and Oscar Isaac, I'm I'm wondering if they watched a different. And this is one of the reasons why I think people are just kind of willing themselves to enjoy it because honestly, and Oscar Isaac is amazing in any other film I've watched him in. As recently as Ex Machina, I thought he was the sh. And honestly, here, none of those three central performances engaged me at all. I'll disagree with you a little bit. I did actually mm-hmm. like all the new characters. I mean, clearly, yes, I agree. They are basically just taking largely parts of the old characters and mm-hmm. tweaking them a little bit. So, you know, there's this guy. He's Luke Skywalker with a little bit of Han Solo or Han Solo with a little bit of Luke Skywalker or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, they've changed it a little bit, but not significantly. Not significantly. That's, but I would, that's I would, kind of my problem with it. I would suggest that despite that, I still would say objectively, this may be the best Star Wars film mm-hmm. on all the technical levels we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were sitting down and analysing it as a checkbox exercise, it's probably the best Star Wars film. And if you like Star Wars films, I'm sure that's why you like it so much. However, it just doesn't have any emotional heart to me. It, it felt very yep. cynical. Uh, that, that's the difference. Uh, whereas before I could at least get in line with some of the emotion yeah. for it. Certainly the original three films, maybe not so much the prequels. By this point, all the emotion has been stripped from me. I'm yeah. approaching these in entirely cynical ways. And if yeah. you look at them as a film, sorry, they're not that great. And here's why Here's why that's a problem for me and why I feel so aggrieved by it. And I'm glad you, you spoke about that next because it's, kind of, it's kind of one of the things I wanted to discuss next anyway in terms of the emotional content of the movie. Um, I kind of tried to distance myself from any of the marketing activity and opinions before the, the film and I'd seen the trailers online. First time I saw one of the trailers in the cinema, I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast, my wife and I were sitting down to watch Spectre in the local cinema and the trailer came on and I was suddenly, I suddenly felt overwhelmed and I suddenly felt mm. quite emotional about it and I, I had the same experience again um, when it was shown in front of Bridge of Spies which I saw recently mm-hmm. and I wasn't expecting that and I thought, oh there's, there's something there and I went in expecting to be emotionally engaged, and I really wasn't. I found I didn't find those characters all that engaging. I found a lot of the dialogue forced, and a lot of the sort of forced humour and and smart Alec chat in the dialogue really. I felt like that felt quite unnatural. I wasn't buying into it. And the single biggest problem I have with the film, and the point at which I realised this is taking the piss, and this isn't what I expected at all, and I feel I feel rightfully aggrieved by this. Is obviously the big the big emotional pivot of the film is the point at which Han Solo is uh, murdered by his son, and I felt that that was put in there as a cheap attempt at buying emotional gravitas, and in no way had that film up until that point earned the right to do that. And mm. if if that sounds overly opinionated of me, I'm sorry, but I went in, 
I desperately wanted to engage with this film and I desperately, I really wanted to love it. And I'm only being honest. I didn't, I felt emotionally engaged from the film. And at the point at which that happened, it felt cheap. And the problem yeah. for me with that is that the character of, and don't get me wrong, I think I was getting, I was getting odd looks from my wife because at that point that it happened, I was genuinely shocked by it and I was really caught out by it. And I, <laughs> and I thought I was going to have one of my, one of my famous tearful asides in the cinema. And, um, it kind of caught me out and afterwards I realised that the, possibly the largest part of why I felt the impact of that was because it was actually quite a cheap shot and it didn't, the, char- the character of Han Solo is so iconic and so beloved that if you're going to do something like that to that character at this point in time, I feel like you have to earn it and it felt like he was being just used as a cheap way of engaging the audience in a way that the film didn't otherwise manage to do. I felt like the filmmakers realised that there was none of that. There was none of the emotional um, connection that they would they would require of the audience. So, well, I know how we'll buy it. We'll kill Han Solo, and it was such a cheap way for that character to go out that it, it actually it actually quite offended me. And if nothing else, if you disagree with me, at least consider that the only reason I feel so strongly about it is because I care. Hmm. Um, and it oh, really it really disappointed me and upset me. If you'll permit me a digression, there is a concept in professional wrestling called hot shotting, uh, which is. <laughs> Is something similar to this. Don't, okay, make me, doesn't, don't, make doesn't me, don't make me potato you. No, uh, but the idea that basically you can, it's not, perhaps it's not quite hot shotting, but you can take the heat that one character has, the love that you feel for something, and try and desperately transfer it onto someone else mm-hmm. by a very desperate act like this. It's normally done with a title belt, but all you've done in this case is try to transfer all of the love that you have for Han Solo's character onto hate. For uh, Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. the Darth Vader replacement, the whiny, uh, e- the whiny emo. Yes, and it it it's seen as cheap when wrestling does it, which is why you shouldn't do it in feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the problem it, it, structurally, again, it would probably work. And again, conceptually, when you write it down, that that, that should work. The problem with is is Kylo Ren. I mean, he's just not particularly convincing as a bad guy. Unfortunately, Adam Driver, who plays him, I've never been a fan of. I don't find mm. him particularly convincing as a human being, let alone an actual actor. <laughs> so when he shows up trying to do angst the way that he's doing, mm-hmm. it, again, I can see what the character's done. It's it's mm-hmm. a perfectly valid character to he's, have. He's the, ang- he's the, the angry teenager who's annoyed at his father. But as a pivotal bad guy and the main protagonist in this, or, I mean, antagonist, sorry, in this film. He doesn't work. He's just too weak mm-hmm. to do it. I know that's the point. I know that's what they're going to explore in the further films, but that's yeah. why it feels like a content plan rather than a film to me. It just it just doesn't make a great deal of emotional can, sense. Can I just say at that point, actually, I was quite surprised because my feelings about Adam Driver are largely the same as your own from what I gather. But actually, for the first part of that film, his performance is one of the few ones that I was enjoying to any degree. And I almost felt like I was going to be surprised by him I feel like in the first half of that film, and it wasn't even necessarily the point at which he took off the mask, and it surprised me that that happened as well. Mm. But actually, I think about somewhere around the midway mark, um, he kind of lost me, and I feel no. like I feel like his performance came. Well, I don't know whether his performance came apart or whether it just whether I just I was so desperate for something to cling on to in the first half that I, I focused on his as one of the least disappointing no. performances because Oscar Isaac disappointed me. I'm sorry, Oscar. <laughs> I never found. Uh... Driver particularly convincing, either physically or uh, emotionally, in, in what he was doing here. I think most of the problems I have with the film really 
are on the bad side, the, the, the bad guy side of things. Mm. Um, not only, I don't think Kylo Ren is particularly interesting as a character, and I don't find mm. Adam Driver a particularly good actor. Right, sorry. No. I, uh, I do like Dom Hall Gleason. Mm-hmm. However, the problem is he's been essentially put into the role that Peter Cushing does. Yeah. Now, Peter Cushing has a certain air of authority. Yeah. Which unfortunately, Dom which he Hall earned Gleason, over a long career. Exactly. Dom Hall Gleason does not have. I would buy Dom Hall Gleason as the guy that brought Peter Cushing his tea, for example. <laughs> but I am not getting the vibe that he would be a proper military leader of the reborn empire. Mm. Sorry, it just didn't work for me. I will, I will say this for Adam Driver, actually. Well, actually, specifically for Kylo Ren as a character. I kind of felt like there was at least, and it's one of the few points in, in which at least uh, The Force Awakens looked like it wanted to diversify is that his character was clearly very raw and undisciplined and we're so used to the sort of Jedi discipline that we haven't seen a Jedi lose his lose, <laughs> lose his temper and yeah. wield his lightsaber not in an elegant way but just use it essentially to lose his sh- and start smashing up a room with it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was going to go somewhere interesting and it may still do again all of these comments I make with a caveat that yes, I know there are still two more episodes at least to to come um, of this main uh, story arc, and perhaps you know, perhaps four years from now we'll actually be talking about how nicely it's all panned out. But yeah, certainly initially, absolutely, Adam Driver, big disappointment, and like I say, Dom Donald Gleason. <laughs> No, Donald Gleason is just one of those characters. I'm afraid I spent the whole film anytime he's on 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 uh, on screen and trying to seem authoritative. My my immediate thought was just, "I right, go and get your dad." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, whatever, pal. Go and get yeah. your dad. Yeah, and and when he does get his metaphorical dad in this film, the yes. uh, the grand leader Snake, Snoke, Snake, whatever it is, uh, uh, it's, Snake. It, it is very difficult to look at that hologram. I, I, I maybe it's just me. I could not uh, look at that without thinking this is this is Supreme Leader Smeagol. Uh-huh. Looked very similar, and of course, Andy Serkis is doing the same thing. Probably didn't help matters, but uh, yeah. Can, just- and again, can we please stop using Andy Serkis as the goddamn go-to motion cap guy? Um, I think on <laughs> the, the, an interesting lead, and then if we talk about let's let's move on from character stuff yeah, and actually talk about the effects, um, or certainly some of the technical aspects of the film. Then, because hmm. um, to me, the most annoying thing about that was it didn't look like a nice piece of CG at all. Again, it was one of those. It was almost one of those Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull moments where J.J. Abrams um, did that whole thing again of promising, "Look, we're we're going to be using as as many physical effects as possible in this film." And to his credit, to a large degree, they did. But the few occasions where they chose fully CG characters, I spent a lot of time looking at the screen, going, "Really, two hundred yeah. million dollars, and this isn't <laughs> as this isn't as good as um, isn't as good as Gollum was yeah. uh, fifteen years ago." I don't. I was baffled by that, and um, yeah, Snoke or Smoke or Snake or or Snack, uh, Knickknack, uh, <laughs> Knickknack Paddywhack was a, a supremely disappointing piece of CG, and also your woman who ran the essentially the Moss Eisley Cantina two point oh, yeah, Maz um, Kanata, Maz Kanata actually really underwhelming pieces of CG work. I'm baffled by that. Baffled by it. Yeah, um, not. Bad, I would have to say. I mean, it's not like I looked at it and went, "Oh, well, that's well, that's obviously terrible." But at the same but not time, two hundred million dollars good for the amount of money you're throwing at it. This should be the best uh, CG outing you can imagine in this kind of isn't. So it's fine. Yeah. But, it's like you, you remember, know, remember when you used to be ILM? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, my days. But I, I, that aside, I have to say, on a on a technical standpoint, 
Um, there wasn't anything really I'd pick flaw in it. Otherwise, uh, effects wise, I was I was more than happy with the rest of the film. Abrams, to his credit, reeled in the lens flare again. That's probably uh, what was his last movie again? The most recent Star Trek movie, I think. I would think so. He seemed to have taken it under advisement there. He'd reined it in a little bit again for the Force Awakens. Well done, pal. Well done. Um, and for the most part, what he does do quite well is the whole. With the exception of one of the air, uh, airborne battles, actually, the, the sort of X-Wing TIE fighter dogfights, which was quite disappointing. I think possibly the first time everyone sort of fawns over Cameron Poe's flying, that actually lacked, that sequence lacked uh, any kind of um, feeling of momentum or heft, actually. I was quite disappointed by that. But the other the other sort of dogfight sequences and stuff like that, the, the chase between the two TIE fighters and uh, the Millennium Falcon when uh, Ray and... I keep saying John Boyega because I forget his bloody character's name. I think it was Trevor. Trevor. Between Ray <laughs> between Ray and Trevor, uh, when they're trying to make their getaway in the Millennium Falcon, that stuff, there was there was actually there was there was really good use of CG there, the sort of the, the virtual camera work and everything. There was a there was a great feeling of momentum and whatnot. And that's that's the kind of stuff that actually JJ Abrams is 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 pretty good at wrangling out of the effects guys, if not the the CG character stuff. Fair play, but that that stuff aside, actually, the rest of the film I can't I can't point much criticism at. Do you know what the most disappointing thing is that uh, thing about it is for me, Scott? And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and I have reservations about saying it up front because actually I never thought I'd say this, and I'm gonna say this as the guy who sat and designed. We didn't put it into production on Cafe Press, I don't think, on the old website, but I am the guy who designed a fuck off George uh, George Lucas T-shirt. I kind of understand the comments that George Lucas made in the press mm. about how sort of disappointed he was reading between the lines, how disappointed he was that this film hadn't really moved anything on I yeah. kind of agree with George Lucas on that and the bit I wanted to come back to about episodes 1, 2, 3 is that while they are still by no means good films and they are still the three weakest the three weakest films of the, uh, of the series, I kind of at least appreciate now the fact that what George Lucas attempted to do with those was expand the universe and for me I feel like the single biggest disappointment in Disney doubling down on the fan service part and again it's not a bad thing that they wanted to they wanted to uh, equip some fan service but for me the biggest disappointment is that you spent four billion dollars you got given this universe and you chose to do nothing to expand it yeah. The possibilities were endless. And if nothing else, I do look at episodes one, two, three now and think, well, at least George Lucas was trying to do something with with that universe and expand it, even even down to things like the design of the craft, you know, even things like this I know everybody harks on about the, the Senate scenes and whatnot, the set the, the Senate meetings and things like that. At least the guy was trying to do something different and expand the universe a little bit and there's absolutely none of that in The Force Awakens. Yeah. And the lazy part of the lazy fan service that I spoke about earlier, things like, come on, the whole Death Star thing. And that scene where mm. that scene where they inverted commas plan their attack <laughs> on the Death Star, which I don't know whether they were trying to play that for laughs. I didn't take it as being played for laughs. <laughs> literally, I can't oh I can't say literally because it's not literally word for word, it's not the same, but not in so many words. That part of that conversation that this <laughs> that goes along the lines of, well, it's not just a Death Star because here was here was here was the Death Star that you remember. Look at the size of this one. 
How are we going to attack it? It'll have some sort of shield mechanism, which means that'll need to be destroyed. No problem. We'll sort that out. Don't know how. We'll work on it. And then they all walk <laughs> out the room and just crack on with it because they're all so familiar with the co- <laughs> concept of this thing. I almost couldn't believe what I was seeing, and I don't mean in a good way. I can't say that annoyed me so much. I figured that was just like, well, we need to try and do something to stop this. We don't really know what to do. Well, let's go and try anything. Uh, I can almost get behind that. <sighs> Seemed fine, but um, yeah, there's but a another of, Death Star. It's it's a Death Planet. It's a Planet Smasher oh, or whatever the hell it was called. That's right. It's I'm entirely wrong. different, Craig. Yes. Uh, what? I think, just going back to what George Lucas was saying, he was of the opinion that really Star Wars is the tale of Anakin Skywalker, how he, you know, ascended to the light side, went to the dark side, and was redeemed in the end. And that's that's all that George Lucas had to say about it. Now, I think he's wrong, and I think there's hundreds of books and whatnot in mm-hmm. the Star Wars expanded universe that prove that you can take it somewhere else after Absolutely. this. Um, whether George Lucas may not have those stories in his mind, but other people certainly do. And so this was my issue with uh, this film, is that it's, it's a reset button again. Um, it, it shows that actually they don't really have any further concept of what they could do with this other than just kind of going back to the well. Let's just go back to the first Star Wars film and remake that. Let's let's just put have a mm-hmm. reset button. Let's completely ignore anything, any ideas that could have come out of this extended universe stuff and just go back to the start. And it feels like the easy way out because yeah. now, you're, now you're back into safe territory. Now you know you've got the films to go back to reference to. You can you can kind of see where they might be going from there. Um, but again, it, again, I, I get why they did that. They spent, they made a huge investment on it. I totally get why they would want to play it safe. I just feel like they could have played it safe, but still have made more of an effort. Yeah. That to me is perhaps the biggest thing. I mean, it's, I say it's, it's a perfectly fine Star Wars film. And if you like Star Wars films, you will like this film because it is a Star Wars film. But I was hoping that it might move things on. I was hoping it might do something a little different. And I wasn't really expecting it to just be Star Wars. Episode four with a bit of five mixed into it. Yeah, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting it to be quite so blatant uh, a reboot mm-hmm. as as it as it is, which is uh, I don't know. Perhaps the perhaps this is just a, something they had to do to make enough money in the first film to kind of justify something of the investment, yeah. and then going forward, the other films will be interesting. I'll still watch the rest <laughs> of the films that they've got, no matter what they do. I, re- I read but, recently, yeah. as recently as a couple of days ago, Colin. Trevorrow, Trevorrow, um, your director of Jurassic World, mm. talking about the satisfying conclusion they have planned for Ray's story arc and about her parentage um, mm. for episode nine. And uh, my immediate thought was, well, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to place too much hope in that because you're Colin Trevorrow and you directed <laughs> uh, The Lost World. And we all, uh, sorry, not Lost World, you directed Jurassic World. And we all know what a massive departure from the uh, <laughs> from the template of Jurassic Park that turned out to be. Uh, so I'm not holding out a great deal of hope for that. What I will say is that our, uh, our man, Ryan Johnson, who uh, I understand is helming episode eight, I do at least hold some hope that he will do something interesting with this because I think of the three directors involved in this particular arc of the Star Wars storyline, um, I think he is demonstrably the most talented and the most inventive uh, of the three. I will say that I don't think J.J. Abrams remains, I remain unimpressed by him. As a director, there are certain things he's good at. He is not the second coming of Spielberg, which I keep feeling he, people keep trying to sell him as that. And I know that he's very cushy with Spielberg, but I just feel like he's trying too hard to be that. Mm. And as controversial as this might be, I still think that um, 
his original reboot of Star Trek and Mission Impossible 3 remain his most cohesive directorial outings. He's he's yet to make the definitively great film that I suspect he is capable of. Colin Trevorrow, uh, I, I'm not holding a great deal of hope for episode 9 based on previous form there, uh, no offence. Uh, but Ryan Johnson at least has enough of a proven track record and I think has done enough interesting stuff uh, in the past with his, fil- his films to suggest that um, I, I would suspect this 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 arc of three films might pan out to be absolutely the same as episodes four, five, and six, and <laughs> that yeah, four kind of sets out its stall but plays second fiddle to the second entry, and the third one's just an absolute uh, CG riot of nonsense that um, <laughs> is is best quickly forgotten. I don't know what are your feelings on that. Well, I largely agree. I won't spend too much time disagreeing with you because I, I can't. I don't have my crystal ball, but that's no. Seems like a decent, as predictable a way as it could go. Um, Abrams, I think, yeah, he's not a great director, but I think he probably is a, a safe pair of hands. Would mm-hmm. be the, the way you describe him. He, he's somebody yes. you can give a huge budget to, and he won't screw the pooch. He yeah. he will he will deliver something for you that is acceptable. Yeah. and again, this is this having, is again acceptable. Having spent four billion dollars, I understand why Disney wanted him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely understand why they they uh, they wanted JJ Abrams. And again, yeah, it's worth pointing out the fact it's not that I hated The Force Awakens. I was just disappointed by it. Um, And I think, actually, the disappointment I feel and the kinds of disappointments I feel and the reasons why, how the fact that, yeah, you're right, there's there's no point in trying to predict what episodes 8 and 9 are going to do for me because I couldn't have predicted ahead of time that I would... I could have predicted that I, I would be disappointed by The Force Awakens, but not, I think, for the reasons that I am disappointed by it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's no point in that. And obviously we've got the uh, the sort of the interludes uh, in between the sort of spin-off movies of which there will be uh, one every alternate year, I understand, in between the main features. Is that correct? That seems right. The first one being that Rogue One. The Rogue One, yeah. I think it's one up here. I say I will judge them on their merits when they arrive. I think they've got potential, um, but as I say, it's just falling back into the, the trap I told you before. It's when you go back and look at them dispassionately. The Star Wars films weren't that brilliant, and th- this one isn't either. But it's still probably the best of them, mm. such as it is. But I'm I'm going to be interested to actually put put a few months between myself, uh, or sorry, between this and uh, a second viewing of the Force Awakens uh, from the comfort of my sofa. Um, because it wasn't until I think I was a certain age that I really started to appreciate um, Empire Strikes Back because it's always kind of it's the boring middle film of the trilogy when you're younger, I think, right? And it wasn't until I was older that I appreciated reasons why that's that's demonstrably the best of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that came through repeated viewings, uh, you know, from under a blanket on a sofa. Um, in my teenage years where I would just for whatever reason on a weekend if I was feeling down I'd be like oh let's just let's just marathon Star Wars um so I will I will return to the Force Awakens uh I don't think even immediately when it becomes available I think I'll maybe give it six months to six to twelve months uh and come back and and review it objectively and um and see how I feel about it then but yeah I'm it's not that I hate it. I'm not trying to hate it, and I I don't want to take a you know take away um, the joy that people are clearly experiencing through this film. Yeah. I just I have my doubts as to why people are enjoying it so much, and I I I, I try to mean that, and as as 
unpatronizing a way as possible. Yeah, we should just, say, if you are enjoying and have enjoyed Star Wars, I'm absolutely delighted for you that you yes. managed to get enjoyment from it. I'm so happy for you. And if you came out of this, it. yeah, if you came out of this whooping, then yeah, absolutely, I'm 100 behind you. I get that people enjoy it. I don't want to take that away from anyone. I just um, I didn't have that experience myself, and for the reasons that we've we've discussed. So there you go, for whatever that's worth. End of spoilers. So Scott, um. The Force Awakens aside, um, let's shoehorn in just a quick recap of some other stuff that's happened lately, um, because I understand you've had you've had <laughs> what with everything that's going on with me at the moment, I haven't had much of a chance to catch up on some other stuff. But you have at least, I think you've got the Hateful Eight to talk about, right? Yeah, there's a few things. Tell you what, I'll give you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about either any of these films. But let's go in rough chronological order of stuff that I saw recently. Um, Mocking Jay Part Two, the Hunger Games finale, uh, came out and it's quite enjoyable for what it is. I think it, it suffers a little bit from being the second part of something. I, I mean, it makes no pretense of catching you up from Part One. So I kind of sat there and went, "Oh, what, what's going on?" Because the first Mockingjay part was not all that memorable, apparently. Uh, I seem to remember it being perfectly fine at the time, but <laughs> I didn't remember an awful lot of it was going in, but it's basically the end of the, the, the Civil War. Uh, it's quite satisfying. I think its only real drawback is that it has to kind of cram the sort of Hunger Game gimmick in there somewhere, so as the Jennifer Lawrence pecks her way through a, a, a city under uh, what should be kind of guerrilla warfare conditions. It's just the odd silly trap inspired by Hunger Games from previous uh, films, which is a bit daft. It could have done without that, could have done with a bit more gritty in those places, but then it probably wouldn't have been the Hunger Games anymore, so I guess that's fine. But yeah, quite enjoyable, very, a very satisfying conclusion to that uh, franchise. Steve Jobs was out fairly recently. This was, of course, the the tale of the technological giant with the head of Apple, but this film makes no attempt to examine anything that would be important in Steve Jobs' life from a technical standpoint, and really that is kind of why you're interested in Steve Jobs. Instead, it focuses on his relationship with his daughter, who he is an irredeemable dick to. Uh, there's no two sides to that story. He's just a total douchebag. Uh, sadly, that's well, that's a reflection on him. It's not really that interesting a topic for a film. So while it does touch on some other things, such as his uh, him being a, an orphan, uh, up for adoption, things like that, it's, it doesn't do so in a way that gives you any kind of insight or satisfaction on him. And certainly in terms of anything technical, it is wildly inaccurate. So it is... A bit of a miss, a bit of a miss, really. Um, not a tremendously unenjoyable film, but it's not really anything to do with Steve Jobs himself. You could probably have got away with calling this, uh, you know, Steve Bobs, uh, who ran the successful technological company Orange or something like that, and it might have been a better film for it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not highly recommended. Uh, the other one I think that's more relevant is the recently released Hateful Eight, which is long. Uh, is really my only criticism of it. Uh, another Tarantino film. I enjoyed as much as I enjoy about three quarters of Tarantino's out output. It's one of his more enjoyable films, I reckon. Mm. Um, fools you in the first uh, couple of scenes into thinking it's a western. It turns out that it's not. It's actually basically Reservoir Dogs again uh, with the kind of western trappings. Uh, but nonetheless, great performances from uh, Samuel Jackson, which uh, is sort of the linchpin for it. Um, again, without going into any great depth, it's too long. It pushes three hours. I don't think it has the real 
interesting characters or it, it kind of drags out things a little bit too long to fill that three hours I think it should probably have been the hateful six uh, you could probably have got rid of a couple of characters <laughs> without really affecting anything and probably would have made it a bit tighter um, if this was there's a really good you know there's an absolutely fantastic two and a quarter hour film in here if you chop half an hour out which probably wouldn't mm. take all that long that's my biggest uh, beef with Tarantino is that Reservoir Dogs aside the Oh my days! He needs to he needs to learn how long a film needs to be. I think Pulp Fiction almost got away with its length, but everything since then would have benefited from a good fifteen twenty minutes getting chopped out. Yeah, yeah, a fairly common thing. But uh, yeah, the, the rest of the characters in there are all uh, very well portrayed and well acted. I think uh, you know Kurt Russell is obviously very good, but some of the minor characters when you get down to it, kind of just probably shouldn't really have been there in the first instance, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, so it does drag out a little bit, but on the other hand, it's still enjoyed. I still enjoyed it quite a bit, so um, I've not had the chance to see this in the 70mm screenings because, well, Tarantino's been a bit of a douchebag about this as well. Um, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not one who thinks that film's automatically better than digital. I think no. that's a, a, a crazy position to take, and it's led to some strange distribution wrangles in the UK, which is a bit of an upset, really. Um, certainly only really going to wind up driving people to piracy. But what the hell? Uh, yep, it was fine. Um, so, yes, the, that maybe answers a question from the chaps at the Films and swe- films and Swearing podcast. That, no, sadly, we've not seen it in 70mm. They were utterly engrossed by it. Can't quite share that, but I certainly enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than some of Tarantino's works. It's probably... Might well wind up being maybe my third favourite Tarantino film after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Probably. I think anyone yeah. who obsesses over the 70mm, I would say, listen, it's not the size, it's what you do with it. <laughs> um, can I just say, Scott, that having seen none of those films, I agree with your opinions entirely. I thought you would. I thought you would. Nice. <laughs> um, and I think that just about wraps it up, right? It does. Uh, should we maybe do a bit of a Twitter Roll up of oh, shout outs and such like. Let's give some shout outs and to us, Scott. Who have we got to give some shout outs to? Um, uh, yes, some other uh, opinions come in that he uh, canvassed for earlier. Uh, we've got Rich Smith on Star Wars, meh, a bit too much like The New Hope. <laughs> I agree entirely. And Hateful Eight, too slow. Probably about right. Yes, as I say, could have done with being tightened up a bit. Uh, we've not talked about The Reverend, which he claims is Oscar bait, and Creed is the second best Rocky movie. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing both of those. So we'll see what happens with those. Okay, so our uh, our good friend Matt Toller, um, at M Toller, M-T-O-L-E-R, a long-time follower uh, of our podcast, uh, and we appreciate his feedback. He has plenty to say on Star Wars. Cynical, fearful, pandering to the lowest common denominator and empty nostalgia. Anti-creativity. Tell us what you... <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Matt. I kind of get on board with what um, Matt's saying there, actually, and I agree with that broadly. Um, I would say it sounds harsh, but keep in mind that it's 140 characters or less. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in terms of The Revenant, Matt's got some feedback. All style and craft um, shows how far those things can carry a simple story. So I'm guessing from that that actually all style and craft uh, you don't mean um, in, a, in a detrimental fashion there, Matt. It sounds like you probably enjoyed enjoyed The Revenant. I'm certainly looking forward to catching up with that and perhaps talking about it in a future podcast. Need some kind words on the Takeshi Kitano uh, podcast that we did recently, both from uh, Ben Richards that's at film underscore law and also some from uh, Films and Swearing podcast again. Uh, I think there's a few other people I think uh, mentioned that they quite enjoyed the 
guess you could handle stuff. Uh, Sonic Yoda, uh, Lewis Clark there as well, enjoying that. So that's that's good. We, there's a request there for us to do some more Asian directors, and I can think of at least a couple of the top men that we'd love to cover. So we'll certainly be doing those fairly you soon. You can I would take imagine. that to the bank. Indeed. Yep. Uh, no, but thank you for all the feedback on the last few episodes, guys. It's been uh, it's been very encouraging, especially when I feel like <laughs> I, ha- I was dreadfully afeared, Scott, that after that Takeshi Kitano podcast, actually I felt that we'd kind of waffled on a little bit too much in it. But actually, yeah. it's it's one of the ones that we've had the most positive feedback on. So I'm I'm glad that that people um, got some benefit from that. And of course, the highest compliment uh, people have paid us is that uh, listening to that podcast made them want to go and check out some more of Takeshi's films and. Hell, if we do that for just one person, Scott, it's been worth it. Yes. Um, I think the, the biggest favour you could do is leave us a review on iTunes. Obviously, the UK store is the one where we'll most easily uh, pick up our reviews, but we have the technology. Uh, if you leave us a review from any other corner of this um, this planet we call home, then we will pick up on it. Um, and we will obviously give a shout out to, um, to those kind enough to have, to have left us a review. We're not going to beg for a five star review because we feel you should be honest. Um, mm. and a big shout out to the, <laughs> big shout out to the person who gave us a two star review and we take on board their comments. And I don't mean that facetiously. No. So, um, any feedback, honestly, um, is, is fine by us. Please do get in touch because if there's anything that we're not doing, uh, well or that you would like us to do differently, then we absolutely take that on board. We welcome it all. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, as we say, either leave us a review on iTunes if you would like to, you can contact us directly. We have the Twitter account at FudsOnFilm. Uh, there's a Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash FudsOnFilm. And of course, if you want to go old school, as it is these days, there's the, the email address of podcast at FudsOnFilm.com. All of those will get to some of our respective inboxes. I think that just about wraps it up, Scott. What's our next podcast going to be centred around? I think it's Quiet Spies, is it not? Yes, we're going to take a delve into the world of actual spycraft rather than stunt work. So we're going to take a look at some proper old-school spycraft films. Expect that coming to your way on the 1st of February, as it is now. Wow. I was Craig Eastman and Scott was Scott. Goodbye. And we will catch you all on the flip side. Drew probably will as well. Do we know what happened to Drew? Is he alive? Drew, we hope you're alive, mate. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Ta-da! Drew, Drew, electric Drew. Drew, Drew, you're killing us with feedback. (laughs) Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. (laughs) Let go, Drew. (laughs) Turn off your mic, Drew.